Father God, I thank you for this morning, God. Just thank you that your mercies are new every morning, God. That is a promise, Father. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to come together and to just worship you, Father, to delight in your word. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your word. We never take that for granted, Lord. And Father, I just thank you for whatever you have for us this morning. May nothing hinder it. And may we be um, completely open to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, you brought us from a mighty long way, a mighty long stay in the wilderness. Oh, Lord, you brought us through the thick and thin, through the fire and the wind, to a better place. You brought us
for that truth, Lord, that you love us, and that your faithful love endures throughout the generations, God. I pray, Father, as we open your word this morning, God, that we would be reminded of your great love. Father, how it is only through Christ that we can have peace with you. And no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. That you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So I pray, God, that we would be a people that would seek the eternal things, turn from the temporal things of this world, Father. That we would receive such great love and not have to endure such great wrath. We thank you, Father, that you make yourself known to all and that you give everyone an opportunity to receive this free gift of salvation. And I love it that your word declares that you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you are with us till the end. And so we, may we be attentive this morning to your word, 
to truth. But Father, it's the truth, God, that sets us free. So we thank you, God, that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin and death. But that, God, that we can walk in the fullness of freedom, liberated in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning to everyone. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil, do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. Application of the scripture is vital to our lives. Especially as Christians. That people would see that there is a difference within us. How we're living. How we're talking, how we're thinking, how we're moving. But they would see a difference in our lives. Because we're turning from evil and we're doing good. We're, we're seeking for peace and we're working hard to maintain it. Last week, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed the scriptures out of Exodus last week. And if you haven't gone back and reread them, I would encourage you to go back and reread them. We find God's people who were delivered out of slavery, out of bondage, out of such oppression that they were enslaved for hundreds of years. That's all they knew. From generation to generation, it was being passed down. From generation to generation, they cried out to God for many years. And God's perfect timing, Moses, the deliverer, appears on the scene. God raises him up. God uses him to lead God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And they witness God's miraculous Power. They knew their God. They could not deny what he had done and who he is. Nor could the other nations around them. And yet we find that when Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God, to receive God's commandments, the people grow weary. And they turn to Aaron. Where's this guy Moses? <laughs> Where is this God? <laughs> no, we need you <laughs> to provide us something to worship. They stopped worshiping the very one who delivered them. And yet there's a need within us all, and I shared this with you last week, for us to worship someone or something. And if we're not worshiping God, we're going to find something else to worship. Ourselves, others, we're going to create false gods. That's why there's so many religions in this world. Because there's a need within each of us to connect to something that's greater than us. <laughs> Something that we can put our hope in. Or even someone that we can put our hope in. When we're lost, when we're without identity, and the fullness of who we truly are created in the image of God, when, when we have no concept of Christ, when we have no concept of salvation, when we have no understanding of truth, we're lost. And so we grab for anything and everything. 
these people longed to worship something. And they went to the only spiritual man of the hour and asked him to provide for them. And remember, he told them, take all your jewelry off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he threw it in the fire. He formed and he fashioned this calf, this golden cow. And he said, this is the God who delivered you. Hmm. And remember, they started worshiping. The cow. Yeah, the cow. They turned from worshiping their God <laughs> and they turned to evil, and they begin to worship what they wanted to believe was God. And remember, the Bible says that Aaron saw how excited they were, so he built an altar. And all of a sudden, it turned into a drunken orgy. They were given in to everything and anything, worshiping this false god. And that is what happens to us when we turn from worshiping the true and living God and we give ourselves to worshiping whatever is before us. We turn in to everything that our desires craves. We just give in to it. And yet God is calling us to turn from evil and to do good, to seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. These people lost their minds. God just moved. God just did something incredible. And just because all of a sudden, the Moses, their, their leader is gone. They forget who they are. And that's why I encourage y'all, you cannot put your Christian faith and your hope into one man or to one woman. <laughs> it's to be in God. It's to be in God and God alone. Your faith is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. The true and living God. If I put my hope and my faith into a man or to a woman, the man or the woman is going to fail me. Or the man and the woman may not be there for me every time I need them. But God is. And your Christian walk is to be based solely on a relationship with the eternal living God. Becoming more and more transformed into His image. You are to bear His image. That people don't look to you, they look to Him. Because remember when Moses was coming down the mountain, Joshua, who was waiting <laughs> for Moses, and I keep telling you, remember Joshua, because this is important to, to begin to understand who he is. Remember, he said, it's like a war going on down there. <laughs> and when Moses came down that mountain, he saw these people engaged in filth. When he saw these people engaged in evil, and worshiping a false god. Remember, he threw the tablets down. He smashed them. And then he went and he destroyed that idol. <laughs> and then remember when he turned to Aaron, he questioned Aaron. Aaron didn't offer up the whole truth. Aaron blamed the people. <laughs> he didn't offer up the whole truth to Moses. Remember, just as it is today and the generations to come and as it has been, there's always going to be spiritual leaders, pastors, you know, evangelists, you know, whoever in the church 
who aren't really of God. They just cater to the people. And they keep the people enslaved to sin. Careful. Careful. Careful that you're not catering to people, keeping them enslaved to sin, not upholding truth to them, not raising up a standard among them. To turn from evil and to do good, to seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Moses was furious. And do you remember what he said? If you're with God, come with me. And there was a group of them that got up. (laughs) And they joined Moses. The others stood back. But among the others, there were those (laughs) who were infecting the masses. With discouraging them. With confusion. With murmuring and complaining. They were just so divisive. And do you remember what Moses said to those who are with him? This day, take your sword and kill them. Rid this group of those people, basically. Get rid of it. And get rid of them. 3,000 men died that day. 3,000, that's a lot of people. Listen, you all, God does not tolerate sin. He never has, he never will. No matter how you want to downplay it, no matter how good it may feel to you, God will never tolerate sin because he's a holy God. If he did, he would be going against himself. He's a holy God. And as you look throughout history, if you don't believe me, go study history. Isn't it funny that the majority, there's a few people who like history, but the majority of people are ignorant to history? And don't you think that's what the enemy would want you to be, is ignorant to what has already happened? I want you all to think about that. Especially when we live in a generation where the masses want to rewrite history to keep us even more ignorant of truth. These people are now being addressed with the sin that has infected them. And God was destroying it. And then you remember too, God said to Moses, basically, I'm going to destroy these people. And then there was this beautiful picture of Moses interceding, asking God and reminding God to have mercy. And that's a beautiful picture of Jesus. Remember I told you, in the Old Testament, always look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Moses was just foreshadowing Jesus, the ultimate deliverer. Jesus intercedes for our behalf. Remember, God's wrath is being stored up. His will is that none should perish. His will is that you would turn from evil and to do good. That you would repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. The Bible says if you repent, he is faithful to forgive. And again, this picture that I'm trying to paint for us, it's not God who is stiff-arming us, telling us no. No, God's arms are open saying, come, come unto me. 
Come, be be saved. Come and be embraced from the fullness of life and love. And yet the enemy and others paint God to be this horrible God, this, this mean and vindictive God. And that is not God at all because God is love. But just as much as he is love, he's a God of wrath, and he will deal with sin. <laughs> because sin is destructive. It destroys us, and yet we yoke ourselves to it. But not if you're in Christ. See, when you become a Christian, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are born again, afresh and anew. You're learning how to live differently now. You're learning to say no to your desires. You're learning to get up and to get over all of that that has tried to conquer you, but not in your power, but in His. Because that's the hope that we have in Jesus, you all. That is the hope that we have. And just as God doesn't tolerate sin, we shouldn't tolerate sin. And ourselves and among us, we shouldn't tolerate it because we know how destructive it is. I mean, just look back at just the past. And has there been anything good that has come from sin? You can look in your own families. Look And has there, any, has there been anything good that has come from it? Because nothing ever will. Nothing ever will. Goodness is from Jesus and Christ and living a life of peace, of overflowing joy that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Moses was interceding. And then he also, he pleaded with God, God, Take not your presence from us. God, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then God, don't send us. Because you remember the Bible said last week that it's his his presence among his people that makes us different than those in the world. And I challenged you all to seek his presence, to abide in his presence Jesus himself says, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you abiding in Christ? Do you truly have the fullness of of, of the foundation that is in Christ that you are able to stand no matter what comes against you? You ought to. You ought to be growing into that. Your goal, again, is not to be perfect in this world, because you're only going to be perfected when you're with Him. Your goal is just to keep growing, keep maturing. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's work in in all of us that is still being done. The work. But it's not work that we do, it's work that He does in and through us. And so He comes in and He reveals the areas of our lives that He says, lay it down. And you can keep it if you want, but why would you? Compared to God's love, why would you keep the very things that want to destroy you? Like, God, you love me. Like, you all get it? God loves you. Like, he loves you. There's no greater love. You're not going to find it in any man. You're not going to find it in any woman. You're not going to find it in anything else. Only in Christ 
is love displayed. And yet the very enemy of your soul wants to pervert love. The very flesh within you that is at war against the things of God wants to entice you and, and, and draw you away from true love to the false reality of love. The world will love nothing more than to keep presenting this wicked ways of love before you so that you would remain enslaved to it. Oh, but there's good news, you all. Jesus has freed the captives. We don't have to keep looking for a golden cow to worship. We don't have to keep going and trying to find other things to worship. Because we are already, if you're in Christ, have an eternal relationship with the living God. And He calls us to worship Him. To worship Him. To acknowledge Him. To abide in Him. Like my position now is in Christ. This is, he is my hope. He is my salvation. And so I can get up each day and I can begin to confess the truth in which I know. And as you're growing and as you're maturing, your knowledge of truth will keep enhancing. And you will continue to be transformed into a new creation each and every single day. That's why it must be applicable truth, truth that you can apply that will continue to assist you and to help you to turn from evil and to do good, to seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Your whole life begins to transform. And not only your life, but the lives around you begin to be impacted by the truth. The truth in the one who came to set the captives free. Are you living free today? You ought to be. Turning from evil and doing good. Seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it. Peace, you all. Peace. Wholeness. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. And I keep encouraging you in this. Hoping that you would grab hold of it and say, that is what I long for. And I know I can only find it in Christ. So Jesus, I come before you. I receive you. I confess that you are the Son of God. I receive the free gift of salvation. I am yours. I lay my life down because in and of myself, I cannot find peace. Jesus says, peace I leave you. Peace I give you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And the sad thing is, if you're not looking towards Jesus, if you're not abiding in Jesus, you will go to look elsewhere for peace. You will look elsewhere for affirmation, for people to accept you. Tell me how pretty I am. Tell me how, how nice I am. Tell me that you want to be around me, you want to be my friend. And you try to seek this. Rather, it's from others or, or, or um, material possessions. You, you try to find some sense of, of wholeness, some sense of peace. Well, if I have this, if, if I have that, if I'm in this relationship, if everyone would just like me. And all of that is temporal. None of that will satisfy you. Maybe for a moment, when you get three likes and a heart, you know, 
Maybe for a moment when you're drawn to your social media to try to find affirmation or try to find some sense of security. It's crazy. That we live in a generation where people want more affirmation off their social media accounts than they do in their relationship with Jesus and with other fellow believers. <laughs> How sad. How sad. Here we are, giving yet another day to experience the fullness of who Christ is, of his love and of his grace, of his, of, of his mercy, of joy, of peace. And did you wake up excited for that today? Because that comes no matter what your circumstances are. Like none of that is removed from you. None of that, no matter what your circumstances are, none of that is removed from you. He doesn't take that from you. Like you have it. It's yours. It's available to you. And so you get up each morning and you walk through the truth each day throughout your day, of the truth of who Christ is and what he has given and who you are as a child of God and grafted into his kingdom, adopted into his family. And this is your truth now, and you're growing and you're learning in it, and you're maturing. And the truth is defining you. If not, then all you are is a lost people that ultimately would experience his wrath. And how sad that you would choose his wrath over his love. And I told you last week, coming to church doesn't save you. Just because you prayed a little prayer one day doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you got dunked in water doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you read your Bible doesn't mean you're saved. A Christian is one who obeys. A Christian's life and heart has been given to Jesus. Amen. There should be evidence of fruit in your life as a believer in Christ. Not just your words. <laughs> Because anyone can say that they're a Christian, but poof, that doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus himself says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not obey me? <laughs> Jesus himself says, consider the cost before you follow me because it's going to cost you everything. And so as a Christian, you live differently. You're not the judge of the world, so you're not out there wreaking havoc on the world. No, you're a Christian. You've been delivered, you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you have the hope of eternity with the living God, and so you are now compelled to go serve and love others, letting them know the hope that you have that is only found in Jesus. And so your life is matching your walk. Your life is, match, is matching, it's equal to your baptism, uh, to your prayer, to, to your Bible reading, to fellowship. It just becomes who you are. You know nothing less because this is just who you are now. You are a new creation. You have a hope that is secured in Christ. And it's not my will, but it's your will being done, Lord. 
And we're interceding and we're praying as the Holy Spirit is leading us for the, for the lost. For our generation. We recognize that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but with principalities, rulers of the air of the darkness. And that in and of ourselves, we have no right or authority against them. But in Christ, we have all that we need to demolish strongholds. To pray and to intercede and to believe. Your Christian life must be based on belief in Christ. And in that belief, you're acting upon it. Not pretending. Not pretending. Not in today and gone tomorrow. Not here and there. No, it's, it's something consistent in your life. It's who you are. Even in the seasons of failure. Even in the seasons that, that may be not marked with full obedience. Even in seasons when life is just pressing up against you. There should still be fruit that's evident who you belong to. Listen, if others looked into your life today, who would they see you worshiping? The golden cow or the living God? The very thing that you asked for that you wanted or the very one all along who has desired you to be in his presence? To be in his presence. Remember, it's his presence that marks us out. It sets us apart. It's his presence. Have you asked for his presence? Do you remind yourself that you are in his presence? Like, oh God. Do you long to be in the presence of your father? Of such great love. Such great peace. The religious leaders beat the head out of Jesus. They stripped him down. They're mocking him. These are the ones that should have known him. These are the ones who were leading God's people. And yet, they were keeping God from his people. They wanted his people just to look to them. They longed to have a Messiah come, but only for him to serve their purposes. Listen, God is not here to serve you. Your life is called to serve Him. See, your, your mind is shifted to a new way of living, to the new kingdom. A kingdom that is eternal. A kingdom that is right and true and wholesome. A kingdom that, that it calls us to life and to turn from death. A kingdom that establishes wisdom. Because as we've been studying, we're learning how important wisdom is to live. And again, I just want to ask you, because I was no different. Before Christ, I had no desire to study. <laughs> I had no desire to be in school. I had no, no desire to, to, to learn really anything new, just exist each day. But don't you see that's what the enemy would want? Is to keep us ignorant? To not have wisdom? 
just to continue just to give over to desires and, and to feelings and to emotions and, and to just to wreak havoc in our hearts and our mind and our lives. But if you seek wisdom, if you turn to Christ and you say, God, I'm going to trust you. Like he moves in such a way that begins to open up your heart and mind to life and to wisdom. No, this isn't going to be the best decision for me, so I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to put my hands to this. No, I'm not going to release it from my mouth. No, I'm not going to keep thinking these thoughts. No, I'm not going to be ruled by my desires. No, because <laughs> God, I'm seeking wisdom. Wisdom is so vital. And the church should not be ignorant. <laughs> the church should be wise in her comings and her goings. Because she is the bride of Christ. She is to be without spot and blemish. She is to be seeking after knowledge and understanding. That's why the Bible is so important that you're opening it up. That this be your mirror of life. This is who you are now. This living word defines you. And it doesn't make sense in the natural mind. But trust me, if you give your heart to Christ and you seek for truth, it will become true to you. You won't have a hard time understanding it. Little by little, it will start making sense. I shouldn't have any understanding of this word, but it makes sense to me now. God's love, God's love, all through this, God love, God's love, God's love, God's redemptive plan to save mankind, God's love that sets me free from sin and shame and guilt. God's love that heals me from the abuse that I had to endure. God's love that doesn't remind me of my past, but continues to make me look forward to a future of hope of etern eternity with God. It changes you. The Bible says, how does he change us? How, how are we transformed? By changing the way we think. You must grow in the knowledge of God. These people turned from worshiping the living God because they chose not to grow in the knowledge of Him. Just because God moved once in your life, you can't just hold on to that. God has so much more for you. God has so much more for you. So much more. And so His presence, His presence, we're going to pick up today in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. And we're going to read through chapter 35, verse 9. Moses is heading back up the mountain. Remember, Moses, we ended in chapter 33 where Moses again, was longing for the presence of God. And remember, God says, well, I'm going to hide you in the, in the rock, and I'm going I'm to walk by you. And I find it interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this, those who study Scripture or not. 
Moses' prayer was not answered at this time. He saw only a glimpse of the glory of God. But Moses' prayer was answered 1,400 years later after he prayed this prayer. And those who, who study scripture, do you know when his prayer was answered? If you don't, that's fine. I'll give you a couple minutes. Where in scripture do you find Moses' prayer answered to see the glory of God? Oh, it's a... Um, What'd you say? Mount yeah. 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 The Mount of Transfiguration. When Remember when Jesus goes up and all of a sudden... Yeah, and Moses... And Elijah was on a mountain. You see, the glory of God can only be displayed in the face of Christ. How beautiful is that? See, it's these little things that you learn in Scripture when you're studying Scripture that it begins, I don't know about you, but when I read that this week, I was just like, oh God, that's awesome. Like God is faithful. You know, Moses is already dead. But God answered Moses' prayer. And the very thing that Moses was longing for, Moses witnessed. Are you hungering for the presence of God? I pray that we will. I pray that you would get up. I pray that even if you're like, well, I don't know, that you would just begin just to turn. Listen, y'all, that's all it takes it's just for one step to look up and say, God, I long to know you. Just be honest, I don't know you, but I long to know you. And that longing, just you taking that step, is not even done in your own strength. That's God himself drawing you to himself. The only way any of this can come to an understanding and the fullness of knowledge is only through the Holy Spirit. You're only drawn to God by the Holy Spirit. So it's vital that we seek for God. I'm telling you, especially in this generation, you all, there's such a great deception. There is such a war for your soul. And it's only going to get crazier, you all. Don't think I'm right. Just look back in history and see how far we've come to such destruction. Even in our own nation how divisive and crazy things are, even throughout the world, even within our own city. Look at what's happening. Look at what's taking place. And the Bible says it's only going to get more terrible. The love of many is growing to grow cold. Wickedness is going to increase. The love for self is going to keep rising up. And the things of God are going to continue just to kind of shrink back. But God has not lost. Jesus is already victorious. See, all these things have to come to pass to bring about his final return. Remember I told you, God's wrath is being stored up. Look at the Bible. Look at the book of Revelation. Look at what the prophets written. 
God's love is being stored up. His desire is that none would perish, but that would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you would turn from your wickedness and turn to God. That you would begin to live a life set out and set apart from the, from the world. And you would begin to live for God. And that then you would go into the world being the light of the world. Offering the hope to the world that is only found in Christ. But when your desires and your feet are only planted on this earth, that's all you know. But God is saying, come to me, come to me. <laughs> because he knows there's a day and an hour that's coming <laughs> when he will no longer hold his wrath, but he will unleash it. He knows that there's a day and an hour when he will... Tell Jesus, go and gather those up that belong to you. And we want to play games, y'all. We don't have time to continue to play games. I can only imagine what it must be like to live in this generation and not know Christ. To be bombarded with as much as you're being bombarded by. To try to make you identify with it. And to keep you from the presence of God. Remember, it's not God keeping his presence from you. God longs to be with you. It's you who is stiff-arming him, saying, You're not God. I would rather have this. Because this feels good to me. And if you settle for that, then you're settling for wrath. For wrath. Instead of his presence, his presence to abide with him, to walk with him, to know him, to have an intimate fellowship with the living God who created heaven and earth, who commands the angels, who, 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 who has commanded how far the oceans can go, who, who created, who is light that darkness can never extinguish. He's the ultimate authority and power and ruler and king. And yet he says, I long to be with you because I created you. Know me. Don't go your way. See, true love never forces you to love back. He's not a mean God. He's a loving God. His desire is that you would turn and to love back. That God, I want to know your love. And listen, it doesn't matter what you all are going through. It doesn't matter what desires that are within you. Because we're all sinners. Apart from Christ, we're all sinners. It doesn't matter. You don't have to hide who, what's going on. You need to bring it out into the light. No one should judge you. No one should come down hard on you. No, a true Christian is going to love you right where you are. But they are going to uphold truth to you. To turn to Christ. To turn to Jesus. To turn away from your sin. The only judgment that is found in the church is if you're calling yourself a Christian and not living like one. Oh, then you ought to be judged then you ought to be held accountable and said, wait a minute, we cannot have you claiming Christ 
and living like the devil. <laughs> because you're making a mockery of his blood. You're making him so common that it doesn't mean anything to anybody. Oh, you're talking about Jesus and Jesus, but you use such a filthy language out of your mouth and on your, on your social media. You're tearing other people down, but thinking that you're praising Jesus. That's how the devil works. He makes a mockery of the church so that people won't look to truth. They turn from the truth and just try to find it elsewhere. No. If you're calling yourself a Christian, then be accountable to God and to your, your brothers and sisters. No matter what it is, don't hide sin. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Expose it. Because that's where freedom comes. And if you're not a Christian and you're dealing with stuff, no need to hide it. Come clean. Come clean. And God, I long to live for God. And so what does it look like? And that's why we have the church. He's given us the church so that we can come together and encourage each other to live for Jesus. Keep living for Jesus. Keep living for Jesus. Know your God. Have an intimate fellowship with Him. Let the transformation that is taking place in your heart be evident to all. So they're not looking to you, they're looking to him. Moses is heading back up the mountain now. And he says here, or it says here in chapter 34, Then the Lord told Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up mountain, Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, and I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. This is God speaking, you all. Know your God. Listen to how he tells Moses who he is. I'm a God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, and I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is our God. We ought to be excited about our God, you all. Even when the days are getting harder for you to live out as a Christian, because they will get harder. Think I'm kidding? Look what's going on now. 
that in those days we're not to grow weary, we're not to you know, hide that we're a Christian. No, that, that means we're to even only burn brighter. Know your God. So that you can be able to share with others who God is. The truth of who He is. Not what man has made Him out to be. But I love what He says here to Moses. I do not excuse the guilty. Like he loves you enough to say, if you don't want to live for me, that is your choice. He, he, remember what I said earlier, he deals with sin. He cannot tolerate it. He never will. I mean, if you look what Jesus had to endure for you and for me, that should open your eyes of, of, of how God looks at sin. <laughs> Because Jesus had to take your punishment. Jesus had to take my punishment. For what? For sin. And Jesus wasn't sinful. But he took the punishment for us. So that we could live. He doesn't tolerate it. But he has provided a means that breaks the power of sin over your life. You don't have to continue to sin. But if you do, remember Jesus. And I love the fact that he tells Moses, come up the mountain by yourself. Like no one's supposed to be hanging down by the mountain and don't even let your herds come close to the mountain. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, I believe that as I continue, and I hope that maybe even as you see it as we're reading the scripture, something's about to happen to Moses while he's with God. And I love this picture because there's no distractions. There's no one else around. He's not even, he's not even hearing the animals. <laughs> like there's nothing around, it's just him and God. Your greatest transformation, your greatest... Um, um, wealth of wisdom and knowledge is going to come in times that you are completely alone with God. Completely. Shut off your phones. <laughs> Get away somewhere by yourself where you're not distracted. Set your heart on Christ and say, God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I just happened to look down. Do you mind if I share something about you? Like Christine shared with me and with others. She was seeking after God. And you went to the beach. And she was crying out for God. And he spoke. See, if you just get away, you all. And each of you can give a testimony, if that's something you've done before, where you have you, you sought after God, and so you pulled yourself away from distractions, and you cried out to Him. It could be in that moment of desperation, but it doesn't have to be in desperation. It could be every day. <laughs> like, I start my days not being distracted. I seek Him, God. A new day. 
Father, what would you have of me? And I'm just learning to be still. To let him speak. And as I'm going through my day, it's just something that I seek, I long for. My God, I long to remain in your presence. And if my day's getting out of hand, I take a step back. And I find a place where I can just go and just breathe. There's something about being alone with God that strengthens your character. This newness of life. God wants to speak you all. He longs to have that intimate fellowship to make himself known to you even at a greater level because look what he did with Moses he yet spoke again to Moses and gave yet another understanding to Moses of who he is the more you know your God the less you turn from him the more you know your God did everyone hear that the less that you will turn and settle for something else so give him the opportunity to speak. Give him the opportunity to interact with you because he is a living God and he longs for that intimate relationship with you. It goes on, it says, Moses threw himself to the ground and worshipped. That's his response. That should be our response. And he said, Oh Lord, if it is true and I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. The Lord replied, Listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord. The awesome power I would display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out all the ites, all of those nations that are enemies. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their asher poles. You must worship no other god. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a god who is jealous about his relationship with you. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. You must not make any gods of molten metal for yourself. It all comes back to worship. It all comes back to worship. His zeal is that you would know him and that you would worship him. Your worship and, and the acknowledgement is only to be towards God, not to others. And do you see what he's telling Moses? 
your people, these people that I set out for myself, cannot get entangled up with the world. Even back then. So you see all through scripture, so it is. We're to be different. If you're a Christian, you're to be different. You're not to act like the world. You're not to get entangled up with the world. Don't even go their way because as soon as you do, as soon as you acknowledge them, boom, they got you. Not because God is weak. No, because God loves you enough that he's not going to force you to love him. He's going to see how you're going to answer to the pool. Do you love him? Yes. Well, then abide in him. Don't go the ways of the world. But let the world keep enticing you. Get mixed up with it. And before you know it, your affections and your heart and your desires will turn more and more from God to the things of this world. God knows this already. God knows this already. And so he's given us an understanding. You want to go your way, go your way. Why would you choose that over me? Why would you choose that over me? Why would you choose what you did this week, last night, this morning, over your God? What benefit did he give you? Do you see how the enemy and the flesh and the world works? It longs to destroy you. But God comes to give you life and life in abundance. He tells them, don't. I'm about to do all this stuff for you. But maintain your worship for me. Because if not, you're going to leave me. If not, you're going to get called up. Like, they're going to invite you to their rituals. But you're going to be seduced. And you say, well, I'm not going to no ritual. Oh, no, but you are. <laughs> because the world is presenting you everything that's ungodly. And it's saying, come, come, give yourself to this. And that's what worship is. Worship is you giving yourself to it. But see, you were created in the image of God. You were created with this, with this longing to worship. And that is to be towards God, the living God. But if you're not worshiping him, all you know is what's in front of you. And you're going to give yourself to it. And he's telling them, do not do it. Don't go their way. Don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. And isn't it getting harder and harder and harder and harder today? Like everything's in front of us. And we long to be like everyone else. And we want this and we want that and this and that. And we want to look like this. And we just want to give ourselves to everyone and anyone just so that we can feel like someone loves us. And we're just giving ourselves away. And all along it's God is saying that's not the way to go. Wake up. Wake up. Like I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you let me in... I will come in and I will fellowship with you. I gotta wake up. We gotta wake up, you all. Like worship is vital to your Christian life. God knows it. God has established it. And He's telling Moses, listen, this is what's going to happen. So don't do it. 
And so then he transitions right in. He says, you must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. Now he's going to lay out these festivals that God's people are to celebrate and mark the remembrance of things of God has done or things to come. And if you ever want to do a good study, go study these festivals that he tells his people to, 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 to do and to, and to have. Because when you really understand them, they point to Jesus. Uh, the celebration of all these different festivals are all filled with Christ and the hope of what's to come. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appropriate time in the early spring in the month of Abib. For that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. The firstborn of every animal belongs to me, including the firstborn males from your herds of cattle and your flocks of sheep and goats. A firstborn donkey may be brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. No one may appear before me without an offering. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. You must celebrate the festival of harvest, the first crop of the wheat harvest, and celebrate the festival of final harvest at the end of the harvest season. Three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign, the Lord, the God of Israel, and I will drive out the other nations ahead of you and expand your territory so no one will covet and conquer your land while you appear before the Lord your God three times each year. You must not offer the blood of my sacrificial offerings together with any baked goods containing yeast, and none of the meat of the Passover sacrifice may be kept over until the next morning. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down all these instructions, for they represent the terms of the covenant I am making with you and with Israel. Moses remained there on the mountain for the Lord for forty days and forty nights. And all that time he ate no bread and drank no water, and the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance, the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he worked, I'm sorry, so he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Moses' countenance was bright. See, when you're in the presence of God, 
transforms you. Your countenance will change. It may not shine as bright as Moses, but it'll be lifted up. There'll be something different about you. People will see and people will notice. It's those times with God when he speaks. And he's laying out an understanding of how his people are to live and how they are to worship and how they are to provide for the system that he set up to offer sacrifices for the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood is the only payment for sin. And ultimately, it was Jesus' blood that was shed. His blood was the final payment, you all. What these animals couldn't do, Jesus did. (laughs) It was the final payment for mankind to be free from the hold of sin and death. To be free from its power to drag you off into your desires. You don't have to go the ways of the world, you all. You have the ability in Christ, you have the power in Christ to stand and to say no. Temptation is not a sin. Giving into it's the sin. The Bible says he makes a way out of every temptation. You will be tempted because you're in this fallen world. The world is going to come a-knocking. The flesh is going to come a-screaming. The devil is going to try to lure you. But it's Christ that can only save you. It is Christ that can only give you the power that is needed to turn from evil and to do good. He's also setting up provision for the temple. The place of worship. Provision. That's why I've encouraged you before, as we see it in the Old Testament, so we see it all throughout Scripture. As Christians, you're to give to the church. You're to give to meet the needs. You're to give and be a cheerful giver. And give. You shouldn't look down on it. You should do it. You may say, well, I don't have much to give. Give what you can. God is pleased with what you're able to give when you're doing it with a cheerful heart. When you're doing it without of obedience unto Christ. He goes on here, chapter 35, just these first nine scriptures. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, these are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day for a complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts Present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goat skin leather, a seal wood, olive oil from the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod of the priest's chest piece. So again, we see... That people are going, and I love what he says here. 
those with generous hearts, those who are willing to give, it can give more. They should give these things. And these things are going to be used for the service of the Lord. And I like that he also is establishing the Sabbath. And again, man has taken hold of the Sabbath. And they have tried to twist the Sabbath from what God has purposed the Sabbath to be. Everything that you see back here in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't come away, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. No, he came to fulfill the law. Your rest is not now in one day. Your rest is found in Christ. And the church should say, Amen. Your rest and, and, and your wholeness is not trying to, to trying to keep the, the Ten Commandments. Or the, the law is not to be the, the burden on you because Jesus fulfilled that. And if your position is in Christ, you're not going to covet what your neighbor has. You're not going to lie. You're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to do these things because you're now in Christ. And Christ has satisfied the covenant. He has fulfilled it. And so you're not longing to be religious. You're not longing to have the law save you. Because Christ has come. Christ has come. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus? He wanted to know how to inherit the kingdom of God. And he was a moral person. He did things right. He was an outstanding, you know, young man. Jesus knew. It's not about religion. It's about love. It's about love. Take all you have and sell it. Give it to the poor. That grieved the young man. And Jesus cut right to the chase. It's all about your heart. It's all about your love. This is what we're seeing here. And so, yes, sometimes reading the Old Testament, as we read last week, and and the times to come, we're like, man, that seems really harsh. Like anyone who worked on the Sabbath was to be put to death. Because they were in violation of God's laws. And if Michelle worked on the Sabbath, and we were back in that day, and Michelle was working on the Sabbath, and Christine will look and say, well, if Michelle can do it, I can do it. And before you know it, you know Norma's doing it. Before you know it, now Melissa's doing it. And then there goes Christian. All of a sudden, people are being what? Turned from God and turning to doing what they want to do. And God is like, no, that's not what's happening here. I'm setting apart a people that I'm calling my own. Go your way and see what happens. He wasn't playing games. That doesn't make him a mean God. That makes him a just God. Because he's given them everything that they need to live right. And now in this new covenant, as Christ has come, now we're in this new covenant. Of grace, but we are not to take his grace and make it nothing. Like his grace is the power to transform us. It's his grace that keeps us from turning to evil. It's given us the opportunity to do good. 
It's His grace. And if we make it common, if we just trample His blood underneath our feet, and we make it as if it's nothing, do you know what the book of Hebrews says about that, if you're living that way? The book of Hebrews says there's no way for you to ever come back to repentance. You're lost for eternity. Oh, but where is that preached today? You seldom hear that. You seldom hear that. Keep going your way. Keep claiming Christ, trampling His blood underneath your feet, making it nothing, just saying, grace, grace, God's love, everything's okay. And open up the book of Hebrews. You're making a mockery of a holy God. You're making a mockery of his blood that was shed for you. You're making a mockery of his plan of redemption from the beginning of time. And you will face his wrath. You will face him as judge. And that's why I'm passionate, you all. To be honest with you all and encourage you to know your God. Stop playing games. Stop playing games. Know your God. Know how you ought to be living. Know how you are to be living in this generation because you are purpose for this generation. There is a purpose for your life. The Bible says that He's created good works for you to do even before you were placed in your mother's womb. He knows you intimately. He knows what He's called you to do for this day, for this age, as long as there's breath in your body, you have purpose for this generation to be the light, to share truth, to love the Lord your God with your whole being, and to love others. That's what you're called to do. Not just to keep going your way and doing what you want to do and living how you want to live and doing all the craziness that's there for you to do. No, God, you all. God desires for you to be in intimate fellowship with a holy God. That's why he says, be holy as I am holy. Think of that the next time you go and do something you ought not to do. Listen, repentance is vital. Repentance is vital. True, genuine repentance is vital to a believer's life. Now, if you're like one of those believers, well, not believers, not believers, you're one of those people who are pretending, just slapping Jesus on your life, and like, oh, look, I'm a Christian, and you're not living like a Christian. See, you're not going to ever come to a place of acknowledging him that he's God because you're so consumed with self. You're like those religious leaders, those Pharisees and Sadducees. They thought they were right with God. And you remember Jesus looked at them straight, eye to eye, face to face, and said, your father is the devil. Jesus, these are religious men. These men love God. No, no, no. Their father is the devil. There's no hope for them. Remember Judas? He walked with Jesus. He was intimate in fellowship with Jesus. 
And yet he betrayed Jesus. And all along, Jesus knew who his betrayer was. Even when, and I love this guy at work, and I was talking the other day, even when they sat down and he washed all of their feet, he washed the betrayer's feet. He knew as he's washing his feet of Judas's eternity in hell, in a place of torment, in a place of judgment. All along he knew, because he knows the hearts of men and women. He knows who belongs to him and those that will reject him. He knows, and yet he still loves. And yet he still loves. And yet he still loves. Sin is so destructive, you all, that a price had to be paid. And it was his sweet life that he willingly gave. Go to Matthew chapter 27. The next few verses are short, so we're going to get through this. But Matthew 27, verse 15 through 31. Hmm. Jesus has been arrested. The religious leaders have done their part. (laughs) Matthew 27, verse 15. Pilate's the one that has to make the decision to do what do we do with Jesus? The religious leaders have brought him. Brought him to Pilate. Remember, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus replied, You have said it. And so we pick up. Now it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Like Pilate, the Roman governor, already knew their motives. But it's, it's custom back in those days to release a prisoner during this time. Now, let's not forget. Let's not forget the crowd is not just made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious men. It's made up of the Jews. These peoples whose lives were impacted by Jesus' ministry. They knew Jesus was a good man. They seen him perform. He had such compassion on them. And yet here's Barabbas, this revolutionary, you know, crazy man. And they have a choice. Meanwhile, I'm sorry, nope, verse 19. Just then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. 
I have suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. So even this woman who is lost, this woman who does not even worship the living God, she was a Roman. She had her other gods that she worshipped, but oh, she's having nightmares over this innocent man. Listen, don't have anything to do with this, Pilate. <laughs> I'm having disturbed, I'm disturbed by the dreams that I'm having, and look what she confesses Jesus to be innocent. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? Do you see the pull that these religious men had over people? They convince these people. Careful who is speaking in your ear. Careful who has access to your heart. Careful of those who are leading you astray. Because instead of these people remembering, they were influenced by the religious leaders. Now, in saying all of this, we already know that Jesus has to die. So all of these events are not taking God by surprise. <laughs> Jesus knew his purpose was the cross. See, even before God spoke and the earth was formed, redemption, the cross was already in place. When Adam and Eve sinned, it, didn't, it wasn't a second thought. God was like, oh, now what do we do? No, the cross was already in place. The, the, the redemption story, the love story had already been written. Now it was just being fulfilled. Because God honors his word. A price has to be paid. And Jesus was willing to pay the price. The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! And Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him! Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And oh God, listen to what they say. And all the people yelled back, we take responsibility for his death. We and our children. What? Have you ever seen a mob? Do you ever see people just get so chaotic? We're seeing a lot of that nowadays. People are moved by people who's in their ear, just stirring up trouble. And what they're saying doesn't even make sense. They don't even know what they're saying. They're just caught up in it. These people were caught up in the moment. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And before we get there, I want y'all to understand the Roman soldiers. They were groomed to enjoy torture and death. They were groomed and if you ever really want to do a good study, go study Rome. 
This was a powerful, powerful nation. And you know what destroyed them? Themselves. Not other nations. But themselves. They gave in to their lust. They were a very lustful society. Sex was running amok. Every form of sex. Men with men, women with women, everything and anything, the lust, their pride, everything about them. And it led them to being such a murderous people. Remember, these are the people that would gather in these coliseums and watch Christians be torn apart by wild animals. And then they would cheer. These were the people that the governor at one time put Christians on a stake, on a pole, throughout the city, and they would walk through the city in the evenings as the bodies are burning to give them light. These people were ruthless. And they served many gods. And these are the people that Jesus, these soldiers, are being turned over to. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. It just wasn't a few. Our precious Lord, if he's your Savior, is now in the hands of the most ruthless people ever. And he's there for you. Don't forget this picture as you're reading this. Don't think that this is just all out of chaos. No, no, no. It was purpose. He was there for you. And I find it interesting that the people that he's handed over to are the most destructive, violent, murderous, ravages people on the earth. It's like the enemy. The enemy thinks he has the upper hand. He just doesn't have a few of the army soldiers there. No, they call out the entire regiment. And here's Jesus. God himself. They stripped him. And they put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. And you think you're being bullied? It's a hard time. Look what Jesus endured. In the hands of the most ruthless men, they mocked him. They made fun of him. They beat him. They spit in his face. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head. And they hit him in the head. And he's there for you. Like he's there for you, you all. 
He's there for you. And then we want to play church. Or we just want to keep doing what we want to do and living how we want to want and want to live and, and just run them up and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and everyone's just laughing and carrying on. My favorite line, shucking and jiving. Everyone just wants to get caught up in everything. You want to post the most filthiest posts. You want to talk with the most nastiest words. You want to act the most craziest ways. Ha 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 ha! You're no different than, than those soldiers. Mocking him, beating him, laughing at him, making him nothing. That's what they were doing. This was God. <laughs> and they're mocking him. Ha ha, Jesus, ha ha, King of the Jews, ha ha, beating him, spitting on him. And he took it. He endured it. Remember just a few verses before, he said, if I wanted to, I could call the legion of angels, and I could put a stop to this. He knew all along, I can put a stop to this. But he saw you. He saw you. He was doing it for you. He was doing it for me. He was, he was doing it because he knew there would be a day when I was going to be on the couch about to take my life. That he would be able to step in and say, no, today you'll live. If he hadn't endured that, if he hadn't been resurrected, there would have been no hope for me and there would be no hope for you. <laughs> We would just be living out of the lust of our desires and just taking in whatever we want. Listen, not everybody on this earth is going to heaven. Even the nations back in the Old Testament, they meant they didn't belong to God. The nations in the New Testament, the nations of our days, not everyone is going to heaven. There are people who want to live in complete rebellion towards God, and that is your choice. But let that not be said of you. Let that not be said of you. Don't partake of the mockery of our God. Don't keep playing games. You come here and then you go and then you just live however the hell you want. What? And act however you want and give in to whatever you want and what? Why would you continue to live that way when you heard the truth? The Bible says it's best for you to have never to hear than to hear and not respond. Now Jesus, you all, his body was ripped to pieces. And now he's being led away to be crucified. This is our God. And this doesn't give us a picture of weakness. It gives us a picture of strength. Such strength to endure what he endured. Such strength to endure 
what he endured and to get up to pick up the cross and to make his way to be crucified such strength such strength is found in restraint remember that as you go through your week because you're called to deny yourself to pick up your own cross such strength is found in restraint. Remember that. Write that down. Put that in your heart. Such strength is found in restraint. You don't have to give in to your desires. You don't have to live like someone who doesn't know Jesus. There is hope. There is freedom. There is a new life in Christ. And there's those in this room that can testify to it. A whole new way of living. (laughs) You don't have to give in to everything. Just be still. God, I'm yours. You make a way out of every temptation. God, no matter if I'm all alone, I know that you are with me. Your word says that you would never leave me nor forsake me. God, if I'm struggling with this area or this is going on in my life, God, I know that you've given me a fellowship of believer and a fellowship with your own very presence, God, of the Holy Spirit. That I can be encouraged and edified and built up. God, my life is yours. My life is yours. There is a way in which you ought to be living. Go to Psalm chapter 33. We're going to finish this psalm. Psalm 33, verse 12 through 22. The psalmist writes here, What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands, look at this, everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor a great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory, for all is strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice. For we trust, look at this, in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That should be the cry of the hearts of Christians, of the church. God is our God. Our hope is in Him. We're not putting our hope in man. We're not putting our hopes in the schemes of man. No, God, we're trusting in You. And God, help our nation. God, help our nation because we're turning further and further and further away from God. I cannot believe I'm living in a time with social... Socialism. 
this move that wants to sweep in America is popular. And we have officials that are running for positions in our government that are socialists. They can claim Jesus all they want, but God is not the God of the Socialist Party because the Socialist Party, the history of it, know your history. Remember what I said earlier? If they can make you ignorant, they can keep you enslaved to what they want for you. The Socialist Party is a godless party. There are godless people, and they rule over people. You know how? By offering to give the people everything they want. Oh, we'll give you everything. We'll provide everything for you. Just let us rule over you. You want to look where our nation is going? Look at Venezuela. You want to see what's happening down in Venezuela? If you don't know what's happening down in Venezuela, Google it. They elected a socialist government. And once used to be a, a vibrant land... People are leaving in masses trying to get out because they have no food. They have no health care. They have nothing. But the government officials are wealthy. The government officials, they got what they wanted. People had to stand in line. Lines and lines and lines just to get a little. We told you we would give it to you. <laughs> we just didn't tell you how we were going to give it to you. Y'all better be careful, and we better wake up what's happening in our nation. The more we turn from God, the more as a nation we go and we allow everything and anything to be popular, God is going to take his presence from this nation, and we will suffer the, the consequences. And even the church, we're not to give up, <laughs> but we better recognize what's ahead of us. We better recognize what's ahead of us. And that's why it's vital. You only got a few more days. If you're not a registered voter, you should be registered to vote. And you shouldn't be voting out of ignorance. You should be voting and making choices for elective officials who honor God. <laughs> or at least have a conservative platform. Maybe they don't honor God, but at least they have a conservative platform. They understand capitalism. They understand how this nation was birthed and formed. I'm telling you, it is vital. Because the Word of God declares so. I know white men are being blamed for everything nowadays. But it was God who purposed this nation, not white men. It was God who purposed this nation. He birthed this nation of freedom to be a hope to other nations in this world. To be a light to this world. To be a great nation Know your history because they're rewriting it, trying to make you ignorant. Years ago, I believe this, this guy, I think he was an atheist guy, or he was a guy from, I think, Paris came and, and he wanted to find out what made America so great. 
And he said it wasn't until he visited the churches and he understood the faith of this nation. There used to be a time that our nation was known for our love for God. A nation of compassion for all people. A nation that was built that would respect you no matter who you are or who you worshipped. <laughs> but that this nation will ultimately be a nation under God. And even now there's people who want to remove that from our nation because it offends people. Oh, y'all better wake up and see what the enemy is wreaking havoc and doing. And before you go marching with people and before you start chanting and before you start going the ways of the popular crowd, you better know what you're being caught up with. You better know. When millions of babies are being aborted in our nation and people are applauding it. When we have a popular TV star, Oprah Winfrey, who has influence over a lot of people, saying to women, stand up and tell people you've had an abortion. It's okay. And celebrate. Like there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with innocent lives being yanked out of a mother's womb that would never be given a chance to live. There's something wrong with it. When our nation applauds it, there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong when our nation turns to sin and just embraces it and rejects their God and says, no, we've got it from here. We'll put our hope in everything else and we'll forget you. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you've had an abortion, there's forgiveness in Christ. Be, be restored, be healed, repent, recognize the wickedness of it and the sin of it. We have to wake up as a nation, you all. We have to wake up. I'm telling you, I never would have believed that I'm living in a time when socialist, political people are running for our office and they're winning. Because we got a generation of people who are ignorant. But look around the world, you all. No country that socialism ever came to power succeeded. And this is what they want to bring to America. Oh, we must wake up. We must vote. We must pray. And even if it does sweep through our land, church, we've got a little hour of time. We've got a little hour of time. And this is why, since day one, my heart was drawn to have a house church. Why don't I have, why don't I have a building out there inviting everyone in a bigger place? Because then I would have to be governed by the, the government. I'm not a, we're not a nonprofit. We are a church. And we fully functional as a church. The only difference with us is that the government will never have control of us. The government will never tell me that I can't preach the gospel. And if I keep preaching the gospel, they'll take my land from me. The government can't take anything from us. 
We're going to preach the gospel. There's going to come a time in our nation, if it keeps going the way that it's going, that churches and ministries are going to have to follow what the government tells them to preach and what the government tells them to say and then put restraints on what they can say because we don't want you to offend people. And they'll classify us preaching the gospel as hate speech and I'll be arrested. It's happening in Canada, just to the north of us. Unless you think I'm extreme, like, oh, Rob, you... No, no, open your eyes. Look at what's happening. And that's why we don't have time, y'all, just to play church. Ha, 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 just come, eat your meals, ha, 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 and then go and run a month the rest of the week. Who has time for that anymore? We're living in an urgent hour. We're living in an hour where we as Christians have to be Christians. Not the mean Christians, not the crazy people, just Christians who are loving others, who are offering them hope and life, who are encouraging people, who are edifying people, and who are ultimately pointing people to Jesus. <laughs> we have an opportunity. Let's go to Proverbs. For chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, and this is where we're ending. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom is so vital. And listen, for those of y'all who are of age to vote and you don't really know, and you, I'm not going to press you to do whatever party. You have to do this party. No, I'm going to give you the understanding of each party. So if you're ignorant and you're not sure and you want to know, then call me and we'll set a time aside and we'll go through every, every elective official that we have an opportunity to elect. And it's going to be up to you to decide. But at least know. At least go into that voting booth with knowledge. Don't go out of ignorance because you're being promised stuff. Don't go and vote someone just because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity. Go with knowledge. Go with wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved the seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed with wines, and set the table. She has sent her servant to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind, and look at this, and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Come unto me, all you simple-minded people. Apart from wisdom, that's all we all, all of us, are ignorant. We don't have no sound judgment. We just run amok. But when you come into wisdom, when you seek for wisdom, when, when you begin to really long to know for truth, you're embraced by it. And you make decisions that are right and just. Look how it ended there. Learn to use good judgment. Good judgment. Turning from evil doing good, seeking for peace, and working hard to maintain it.
I don't know about you, but I'm excited for the day and age in which we're living. I'm excited to see everything that's happening around the world. Because everything that is transitioning and shifting is just making Jesus even more known. And even it's allowing me to even believe, even at a greater belief in Christ and go, my God, your word is true. Like everything that we're seeing is all found throughout scriptures. So why would we deny him? Open your eyes. Open your eyes and be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because these are days that you and I have been purposed for. So don't let a day go by living aimlessly and ignorant. Live in these days in wisdom and good judgment. I'm going to close this with a song, and then I'll close this in prayer.